Welcome to the second season of Better News, a series of special podcasts It's All Journalism is producing in partnership with the American Press Institute. I'm your host, Michael O'Connell. Better News offers strategies and case studies to help transform newsrooms. The effort is fueled by API and the Knight Lenfest News Initiative. The goal of this podcast series is to highlight some of the useful research API has published as part of its Better News Initiative. The Democrat and Chronicle of Rochester, New York, was facing a problem. Historically, their audience was old and white and dwindling. The paper had to figure out how to reach a younger and more diverse audience, and fast. C.J. Benjamin is the Emerging Audiences Editor for the Democrat and Chronicle. She recently wrote a piece for Better News about how the paper successfully developed a strategy to better engage a younger, more diverse audience. Welcome to the podcast, C.J. Thank you. So before we get started, tell me a little bit about your career trajectory. How did you end up at the Democrat and Chronicle? I studied journalism at the University of Arkansas, the um, College of Arts and Sciences there. And it was a place where I, you know, had taken classes that really opened my thinking to writing and to writing wrongs and helping communities of color. Just some of the classes I took, you know, in economics and African politics and different classes that got me thinking about this. And you know, really, it's something rooted in me when it comes to just wanting to right wrongs for communities of color. When I was a kid in second grade, I will never forget how one little girl and I had to sit in the back of the classroom. I mean, I'm African-American. She's Native American. We had to sit in the back of the class with seats in front of us, like desks in front of us in the corner. And all of the white students sat in front of us. And so that was ingrained in me, you know, just we didn't have a voice. I was put in the slow reading group, things like that. And I would, I never forgot that, like how how hard it was for us that one year in school. And so as I, you know, when I was at the university, I still had that in me, you know, wanting to, to think about how do you right wrongs and, and things like that. So when I graduated, the first place that interviewed me was a Gannett newsroom in Little Rock, Arkansas at the time. When I took that job, I immediately saw that this is a place they care about the same things I care about, which is they cared about diversity and they cared about doing things to expose wrongdoing, people who were mistreated and things like that. I also saw with Gannett, which owns the Democrat and Chronicle in Rochester, that they had a huge network of newsrooms. So I thought, you know, as a young professional, this is somewhere I'd like to, I could go, I can, I can grow in my career and I can do what I, I want to do and what I really care about. So I made my way from Arkansas to Florida, spent some time at USA Today from there uh, to Rochester Democrat and Chronicle. And um, I met my husband here and we raised our family here and I love it. It's a pretty amazing story. And it's, it's inspiring, you know, I, I feel bad the, the, what you had to deal with when you were younger, but it's inspiring that, that you took that as something that, that sort of drove you forward and sort of propelled your career. Yeah, I think it's, it's pretty admirable. Now, you know, I have to be honest, this is the first time I've ever heard of an emerging audience's editor. You know, what is that position? <laughs> it's a brand new role that was created. Actually, I'm celebrating my one year anniversary in that role just this month. So... But it's a role that was created in 2019 to help our newsroom really move forward when it comes to covering communities of color. 
So my role is to be a leader who is knowledgeable. I mean, I know I need to know about what our content strategy really is when it comes to reaching these communities. So I'm that person who I might be a little annoying sometimes. I'm like the MP in the military just coming up, checking things out. But I'm on the calls in the morning. My job is to help us earn back the trust of communities of color and to help grow that audience. So the emerging audiences editor is somebody who owns that content strategy 150%. So day in, day out, I'm trying to help us improve coverage of these communities. I mean, in the, I have to say that the journalists, I think that it, we have a great team in Rochester who they embrace the fact of me being on the calls. I'm on a call every morning. We have the 6 a.m. call, which I'm not on, but then we have another one mid-morning. And um, I get to listen in and help support the ideas that they have and talk through the ideas. The emerging audiences editor has to also help with sharing sources. So sometimes I'm listening for what do they need and how can I help? And at other times it is, I don't hear anything. So I'm making suggestions. I also work from week to week with the, the editors to make sure we know we're looking ahead at what's coming up. So what was it that sort of prompted the, the Democrat and Chronicle to recognize that it had an issue that it needed to address? That is an excellent question. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's usually prefaced by, I have no idea. It's above my pay grade. Well, you know, as you said in your introduction, we know that the audience is overwhelmingly white and our audience is, um, is dwindling. It's getting smaller. And so we recognize that we had a problem there. And it's not only us. I know that a lot of newsrooms are facing this, but we had an urgent need. I mean, we called it an urgent need to evolve, an, an urgent need to transform. We realized we were disconnected from communities of color and they really weren't connected to us either. You know, when you look in your inbox, who are you hearing from? When the phone rings, who's calling? Who's texting? We knew that we had a problem there with hearing from the community and us really reaching out to the community wasn't working as well either. So there were various reasons for that. When you talk to the reporting team, you know, that certainly some of these this content might not always initially get the page views, right? Or it might be something else that is happening at that time that gets the priority. So you, you have to make it a priority. And we realized that this was a problem. One of the things that happened, though, I have to tell you, was we had a story that our um, New York State team did a nice job when there was a bill passed where uh, there was anti-discrimination in the workplace for black hairstyles, right? And so this new legislation was designed to stop that from being an issue. And so California had been the first state to pass such a legislation. Then New York became second. So it was just so such a struggle trying to get that story, the follow-up story done. I mean, the first story broke the news, but it didn't include any voices of people of color. So what I wanted to do was, all right, I'm new to this job. Let's go out 
and get some voices into that story. And that proved to be a problem. And it was one of the things that revealed that sometimes there, there were people who they just didn't have that comfort level to go into the community and find those voices. Other people were too busy. You had different things. And this was coming um, not only from reporters, but from editors. And we realized, you know, we, we have a problem here when it, it took a couple, three days or maybe even a week to get somebody on that story to go out and get the voices. Just go to a unisex hair salon and talk to people who might look different from you and ask them about, like, what do you think of this new law? And how is it this is going to change things for you in the workplace? So that was one of the eye openers was when it was the difficulty we had getting that story done. It's pretty amazing that the number of disconnects that kind of reveals because, you know, I think sometimes journalists, they feel comfortable sometimes in dealing with groups as sort of concepts and ideas. And at the same time, they, they, because they're journalists and they're storytellers and they recognize that, you know, powerful stories are stories that have, you know, voices in them and perspectives that, for some reason, they're, they're they're not making that connection that, you know, yeah, I can write about uh, this group of people who this law is going to affect, but I never actually talked to anybody in that group, even though I recognize that if I did that, I probably would have a much more meaningful and powerful story. So it's tough sometimes. You can identify what the problem is, but then the, the trick, the next trick is, of course, figuring out how you're going to deal with it. So what did the Democrat and Chronicle do next? You know, we went back and um, we took a look at a community poll that had been done in 2018. And that poll was, um, it was an empirical poll that was done by the Causeway Community Partners, I believe if I got that right, in the Rochester, was our local market. And it looked at perceptions of how race is represented in, in local news media. So I think what this group was trying to do was to spark like some positive change in Rochester. What they found was that coverage of whites was seen as significantly more positive by, you know, people of all races. And when you found out about what people of color were saying, they were saying that, you know, that it's even worse. They saw negativity in the stories about these populations. And when you, we dug down, we saw that it was even, these perceptions were even more profound with African-Americans and Latino communities. And so they had strong feelings about this. This poll even like cited some of the quotes that I think there were about 500, 600 people in this poll. This kind of showed not only people of color, but the white people in our market felt that we as a media in Rochester were not being altogether representative in the coverage. So we were hearing that when you write something about the suburbs, for example, it's really positive and it's more about white people. But when you write about the city, it's more negative. It's about crime. It's about, you know, something being drug filled. So this was perception, not necessarily reality, but we knew that we had our hands full and around the same time and last year. So we got the results of the study in 2018. And then we had a new editor on board in 2019, Michael Killian, who is one of the authors, the main author of this article for Better News that came out just in the last few weeks. 
But one of the things that, that he and I and a couple of others began to do was we're like, let's all right, let's put our heads together. Table stakes came out around that time. And we began to look at, are there tools in this toolbox that we can use? What can we do to really look at this challenge we have in front of us? Like, how do we earn back trust? How do we build trust? And how do we improve the coverage? How can we give our reporters, because they're so talented, and it wasn't that they didn't want to do these stories. I mean, we were part of the problem ourselves in not allowing them to be able to build rapport in these communities. So the table stakes tools became something we looked at very closely. We created a table stakes team and that gave us a toolbox where we wanted to, okay, we know where we are. Where do we want to be? So we kind of identified what our vision would be and we went for it. So how did you leverage events and community partners to build trust? That's a really good question because it was one of the main parts of our strategy. We realized we need to create partnerships. We have to get outside the circles that we've been in and look into different circles. So one of the things we did was we looked at the area's longest running multicultural festival, which is the Puerto Rican Festival of Rochester. It had been going on for 49 years and was entering its 50th year in 2019. So what we did was we realized, all right, part of the feedback that we've been getting is that the coverage of this festival has not been in depth. It has been negative. It kind of highlights any negative events that go on after the festival, which really aren't a part of this beautiful event. So we invited the volunteer director, the president of that festival, to the Democrat and Chronicle. And let's sit down and let's talk about, let's just learn more about the festival, about his role, and strike up a partnership that would work for us and them. So we became sponsors of the festival for the very first time in its 50-year history. That president of the festival said that it was his first time being invited into the newsroom of the Democrat and Chronicle in the 15 years that he had been the president. And he was just stunned by the reception, the kindness, and it was just the beginning of earning trust through a partnership. But one thing we learned was that's not enough. That's just a beginning. It can't be, you know, just let's do one thing and that's it. We decided, all right, let's prepare an event. Our food writer, who is phenomenal, Tracy Schumacher, she came up with an idea and said, all right, as part of what we're doing with the Puerto Rican festival this year, would I be able to have like a lunch event and bring some of the people who follow my my writing and some of the, she had a series that was going on where she would go out and dine in di at different restaurants. Those readers had been following her, part of our traditional audience. And so Tracy started this event that was, it was phenomenal. It was on the first day of the Puerto Rican festival outside Frontier Field in Rochester, New York. She's there with the, with tables, with uh, umbrellas up. And then she partners with the head of that festival and they go on a walking tour of the festival. And our readers had an opportunity to taste authentic Puerto Rican food. 
We spent time there. We were able to go to the different vendors. The executive editor and I were on stage that night for the the music groups, and we were able to talk about the DNC and what our mission is. Through that, we were also able to create a second partnership with another group that was present at the festival. And we had set goals. All right, we want to set at least two new partnerships. And so the second one we were able to create with Ibero American Action League. And Ibero was at that event. But Michael, I just want to mention to you that one thing that is so important is, you know, to stay on top of things that we say we're going to do. If we say that we're going to welcome people or or do a partnership with a station or send a reporter, when we're trying to earn trust from communities, it's important to actually follow through on what we say we're going to do. So the partnership opportunity that was there was with an organization called Ibero. They are the largest nonprofit organization for Latinos in Rochester, New York. And a few months earlier, someone had said to them that we would, you know, have somebody on the radio or send some our daily news headlines to the radio station. But that we never followed up with that. And I looked and in that meeting, I was in that meeting and I was at that table. And so, you know, I took the responsibility for it. And at the same time, there were other competitors from the media market here who were asking this largest organization, which represents 60,000 people in the area, about 60,000, they were about to get the partnership that we had a chance to get and had not followed up on. When we talked to that organization, this guy Julio Sainz was the chief communications director. We had a good conversation. It started with him kind of frowning what happened. You guys were supposed to do this three months ago to actually him introducing me to students, introducing me to people around that festival event. And we ended up being able to provide our Alexa briefings three times a day. They're read on the radio station that is owned by Ibero and that's called Poder FM here in Rochester. And we also now have a Spanish language partnership because of that one conversation that day, just trying to shore up something that had been done that didn't work out and following through and saying, we said we were going to get you these Alexa briefings. We got them that following Monday. And ever since then, the partnership has just been very strong. Yeah, that's great that you're able to sort of mend a bridge there. And that led to new opportunities for you to be able to grow in that community. I understand that you also have a a mobile newsroom. Can you tell me about that? When trying to reach a new audience, it's so important to know what that audience wants versus coming in and saying, here's what we are going to do. So the mobile newsroom was something we we had a vision for and decided this is our way where we're going to help expose the entire staff, everybody in the room, to the community as part of our strategy. We had decided there are going to be nine areas of the city. These are areas that are in underserved neighborhoods, areas where we checked and saw the digital subscriptions are super low. And we just don't have the reach that we need to have into these communities to even be able to grow our audience. 
So one of the things that we did was we applied for a Facebook journalism grant and won the grant for almost $25,000. And we, with that grant, we set up the mobile newsroom, which is really a 16-week effort where we would go out one week at a time and into different areas of the community. So we had an editor, two editors who would go out and scout locations. They would work with community groups and they would have meetings and do all the prep work to find out what's going to be a good location, what's a safe location, where are places that we should be thinking about that's going to really leverage our partnerships. So the first place we went was through one of the community partners. It was an early childhood development center on Clifford Avenue in the city. It's in zip code 14621, which is a place that, you know, there there's a lot of pride, a lot of community pride there. We know that there had been issues in that area as well that the community wanted to have addressed. There are neighborhood associations, clubs, where people like Ida Perez have been working for years to try to get media attention. And so what we did was we brought our reporting team in. Sometimes there might be one person, sometimes there might be four. And we would staff them and track every single day in that area. So for one week, we would have one team and there would be a lead editor on site. And we would have reporters and they would go out and listen, or sometimes we would invite people from neighborhood associations in. We would go by the community library and go by and look and remember that community poll where people had said that everything is too negative when it's out of the city. So we started going into places to see what city life is really like in these neighborhoods. And there was a lot of pride that we discovered. We went into restaurants and enjoyed the food and the culture of these neighborhoods and got to know the people. So the mobile newsroom gave our staff who had said, we haven't really had a chance to build this type of rapport in years. It gave them a chance to go out and to begin building that rapport by meeting people. And at that time, we were able to do that. And I'm so glad that we did that in the fall. We did it from October to February, because right on the other side of that, the COVID crisis hit. But our people were already prepared. They had already made new yeah. connections. And I'm, I'm just so glad they did. So what would you recommend to other newsrooms that are looking to improve their coverage and engagement? First thing I would do is say, find that person in the room who's genuine. I mean, genuine about diversity, about when you look at the fault lines in different groups different communities that aren't represented. Find somebody who is really interested and passionate and listen to her and talk to her and support her and build a team. Because somehow you have to start with the low-hanging fruit or that area that's going to be low effort, high return, where there you can get someone who is already passionate to work with you and then bring the rest of the, the room on board. And another thing I would say is to think about how you're actually going to be listening to the audience you want to reach. I mean, where's the listening effort? 
So we were very fortunate to be able to have a mobile newsroom, Michael. It was really good for us that we won that grant and we were able to send every reporter, editor, photographer into the community to actually spend time in communities and write stories. And as they wrote those stories, we were able to measure and see how the stories were doing. So I would say you make sure that you're, you find a way, how are you going to listen to people? Or what's that going to look like? And then the last thing I would say is just establish some type of consistency up front and determine, you know, how, if I start this, how am I going to maintain it? How are we going to, to do it? Is that going to involve multiple sites? Is it going to be a freelance app? You know, how are you going to do that and get a team around it? So, so CJ, tell me about some of the successes of your effort. Some of the successes were that we saw the numbers go up considerably when it came to our digital subscriptions. We, we have digital subscription growth. We measured how the content performed every single time there was a piece of content. And when you look at last fall, we started out with 3% of our overall headlines being about communities of color. And by spring, we were up to nearly 20% at one point. And then we continue to try to maintain, you know, we try to make sure that we're somewhere between 10 and 15% at all times of the overall headline. So if we have 500 headlines in a month, we want to make sure that, you know, a good percentage of those are headlines about communities of color. So we cut in half the percentage of routine crime stories and that was a big deal to be able to get our public safety reporters working in a different vein. So we continued to measure that. We got the whole, whole room on board and we reworked beats and we got everybody involved. All of our people were able to sit down and help come up with the plan that Rochester executed of how we were going to change our newsroom. So we were able to measure success by looking at the growth in digital subscriptions looking at the performance of the actual content with our audience, and then making sure that we cut down on stories that were offensive to communities of color. We've been talking to C.J. Benjamin, uh, the Emerging Audiences Editor at the Democrat and Chronicle of Rochester, New York, telling us about how that newspaper has uh, been trying to reach a younger and more diverse audience. C.J., thanks for coming on the podcast. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to Better News, a co-production of the American Press Institute and It's All Journalism. API's Better News Initiative offers strategies and case studies to help transform newsrooms. You can find out more about the Better News Initiative and this podcast at betternews.org.